In early 2011, a line of cars stretched across a craggy Tanzanian dirt road for miles. Each one carried the dying hopes of the passengers inside. The heat made the experience unbearable. The packed-in passengers started getting out of their stopped cars to see how much farther they had to go before they reached the remote town of Samunge. But it was impossible to calculate the distance. The line stretched all the way into the horizon and out of sight. All they wanted was the miracle drink being sold by 76-year-old Ambili Kile Wasapile. They heard it could heal them of serious illnesses, from cancer to AIDS. But not everyone in line was going to make it there in time. They were in the middle of nowhere, and there were no facilities for countless miles. For those already in dire straits, this long journey put their bodies over the edge. Dozens of people ended up dying on the way. And even for those who made it there, being healed by Mwasapile's miracle formula was far from guaranteed. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And this is Cults, a Spotify original from Parcast. This is episode three of our four-part special on miracle healers. In this episode, we're taking a deep dive into Tanzanian faith healer, Ambilakile Mwasapile, also known as Babu, who promised a cure for cancer, diabetes, HIV, and AIDS. His radical claim struck a nerve with a population desperate for help, but these were miracles that he was ultimately unable to provide. We'll have all this and more coming up. Stay with us. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. When most people think of miracle healing, their minds are drawn to images of evangelical preachers on television or loud pastors sweating in a revival tent. 
But faith healers come in all forms, whether that's an experienced doctor turned healer or a toddler with the power of God on her side. And their purported cures are just as varied as their personalities. While some develop an entrepreneurial spirit at a young age, others find their calling much later in life, like Ambilakile Mwasipile. Mwasipile was born in 1936 in what is now southern Tanzania. He spent his youth in the quaint village of Ibililu, but it's unlikely that he had an idyllic childhood. Life in Tanzania was hard, and poverty affected every facet of life. It's likely that he didn't have access to potable drinking water, and as a young boy, both of his parents died, which left him an orphan. It's easy to imagine how this loss would have deeply affected Mwasipile. Vanessa is going to take over in the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Greg. According to the book Bereavement, Reactions, Consequences, and Care, published by the Institute of Medicine, the loss of a loved one at a young age can have disastrous effects. The authors explain, unlike adults who can sustain a year or more of intense grieving, children are likely to manifest grief-related affects and behavior on an intermittent basis for many years after loss occurs. Mwasipile likely felt the impact of his parents' deaths even as an adult. It's also possible that as a coping strategy, he deepened his lifelong Christian faith. When Mwasipile was a teenager, he left his village and traveled north to find steady work. For the next 20 years, he lived in northern Tanzania, building houses. He carved out a decent life for himself, but at some point it became apparent that his current path wasn't going to lead to anything special. He longed for something more. So, in the early 1970s, Mwasapile, then in his mid-30s, made a radical change. He joined the seminary. His commitment to the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Tanzania was strong from the start. According to a later interview with one of Mwasapile's teachers, Reverend Kimerai, Mwasapile was quiet, studious, and always gave the right answers. However, once Mwasapile became part of the clergy and the years passed, he privately questioned whether the meager life of a pastor was right for him. He was intrigued by stories of men working in the mines in the Merirani Hills, over a hundred miles away. The hills were home to Tanzanite, one of the rarest gemstones on Earth. One of Mwasapile's friends had headed to the mines to seek his fortunes, and Mwasapile was tempted to tag along. But one night, Mwasapile had a dream that changed everything. In his dream, Mwasapile found himself deep within a mine. Underneath thousands of tons of earth, he desperately dug for gemstones, and after what felt like an eternity, he hit pay dirt. There in front of him was a gorgeous gem that would provide him with all of the earthly riches he could ever desire. But as he grabbed the stone, his hand immediately started to feel warm. Within seconds, the sensation intensified into a violent burning. He recoiled in horror. Then he noticed his friend down in the mine with him. He was able to grab stones with no problem. In his panic, Mwasapile didn't understand what was happening. And then, just as things were getting too intense, he awoke. As Mwasapile recovered from the nightmare, 
he slowly became convinced that he just received a message from God. In the Old Testament, Daniel, Joseph, and King Solomon all experienced holy dreams. After years in seminary, Mwasapile would have been familiar with their stories, and he was primed to interpret his dream as God speaking to him. Mwasapile thought the meaning was clear. Instead of heading out for the mines in hopes of financial prosperity, God was telling him to remain in the church where his true purpose was. Not one to argue with the creator of the universe, Mwasapile obeyed. He continued his work as a pastor. And in 1989, the 53-year-old Mwasapile decided to travel as a missionary to the remote village of Samunge. It wasn't a desirable assignment. Running water was hard to come by, and the village wasn't connected to the electrical grid. The nearest large town was over 200 miles away, and the pay wasn't great. But apparently, Mwasapile felt called, and he offered his services. It's unlikely that Mwasapile's arrival came with much fanfare, but he easily slipped into the role and began his outreach. It's hard to say how many were in his congregation he had at any given time, because the population of the village was always in flux, but there were never more than a thousand people. Despite taking such a big risk in moving to Samunge, it seemed that Mwasapile's life remained the same as it had always been average. The church gave him a small monthly stipend and let him live in a modest house built for the area's previous pastors. Everything was business as usual until 1991, when Mwasapile experienced another divine dream. This time, it proved prophetic, and it would not only change the course of Mwasapile's life, but the lives of millions he'd come in contact with. Coming up, Mwasapile creates his miracle cure. Now back to our story. In January 1991, 55-year-old Ambilikile Mwasapile experienced his second divine dream. In this vision, Mwasapile saw a young woman he'd never seen before standing right in front of him. According to religious studies scholar Mika Vahakengus, who interviewed Mwasapile extensively, as the pastor studied her features, the voice of God spoke to him, Give her that medicine of yours, and she will be cured of AIDS. Wasapile stood in awed silence. He didn't dare speak. Everything seemed unusually vivid. He'd never forget that young woman's face. Mwasapile awoke from his dream with a start. He didn't know what to make of it. He didn't know this woman and wondered how long it might be before their paths crossed. And if they ever did meet, Mwasapile wasn't sure how to do what the Lord commanded. He had no magical cure. The idea of miracle healing was nothing new to those in Tanzania, let alone someone of Christian faith. In the Bible, there are countless healings performed, including Christ giving sight to a blind beggar, healing lepers, and raising Lazarus from the dead. So for Mwasapile, the command in his dream didn't seem impossible. He just didn't know where to begin. So he continued his work and waited for further instructions from God. As the years rolled by and Mwasapile got older, his work in the savannah began taking its toll. He was no longer the young man who once hoped to gain fast money at gemstone mines. He was well past middle age, and the locals had begun calling him Babu as a sign of respect, the Swahili term for grandfather. 
In 2002, at the age of 66, Babu was ready to retire. After having spent the majority of his life devoted to the Lord's work, some in church leadership expected him to go home to the larger city of Bamati, where his relatives lived. But instead, he stayed put in Samunge. But staying in the village wouldn't be easy. After he retired, he wasn't allowed to remain in the church's housing anymore. He received a small retirement payment each month, the equivalent of only 27 U.S. dollars, which he used to move into a mud hut. The money was barely enough to live on, and with Samunge being so far out of the way, it took weeks for the checks to arrive. So to supplement some of his income, Babu began helping out with small building projects around town. But he didn't seem to mind. He still believed he was following God's will and continued to have divine dreams. Then in 2009, while at the church's choir practice, Babu saw something incredible, the woman from his dream 18 years before. He couldn't believe his eyes. She looked exactly the same as in his vision. And despite the decades that had passed, she was young, just like in the dream. That night, Babu went to sleep wondering how he might fulfill God's demand. He hoped that the Lord might speak to him again. And it seemed that God did. In a dream, Babu saw a strange man standing, holding two large roots in his outstretched hands. When he woke up, Babu knew where the plant roots were from, the Mugarika tree. In rural Tanzania, traditional healers commonly use the root in soups and drinks as a way to cure headaches and fevers. It's likely that Babu knew of the plant's medicinal use, but he'd never heard of it curing AIDS. He had faith, but he still didn't have any idea what to do. His only hope was to pray and ask God for further guidance. A few days later, the Lord answered. In another dream, Babu saw a reddish-brown liquid. Without hesitation, Babu understood what to do. He needed to boil the root in water. Amazingly, one day during this time, Babu woke up and saw something in his house he'd never seen before, a small plastic cup. He hadn't brought it inside, and he didn't think he'd had any visitors who'd left it behind. As Babu stood there looking at the little cup, he put it all together. God had placed it there to show him how much of the miracle drink was needed to heal AIDS. Babu set about brewing his first batch of the drink. He took roots from a mugariga tree and placed them in a pot of water to boil. After the mixture cooled, he poured some into the small plastic cup. Then he tracked down the woman from his dream and gave her the liquid. She drank it. Weeks later, she came back to tell Babu that she'd gone to her doctor. Her white blood cell count was climbing, and her immune system was stronger than before. She told Babu that she no longer had AIDS. That moment likely validated every decision Babu had made in his life. The times of uncertainty in the church, his move to Samunge, and his resolve to stay. Suddenly, the hardships were all worth it. He'd found his purpose. God had worked through him, and he knew they had more work to do. Throughout summer and fall of 2010, Babu expanded his operation, serving his special drink to more people in the community with HIV and AIDS. Word slowly spread to the surrounding areas of Babu's purported success. At the time, an estimated 1.5 million people in Tanzania were living with HIV or AIDS, 
and they were all desperate not to let the disease kill them. As more and more people arrived from the rural outskirts, Babu welcomed them with open arms. Before passing out his miracle cure, he would gather small groups and give a short sermon about the power of faith. He'd quickly point out that God was the one who made his liquid so powerful. After the short service, Babu would hand out the small plastic cups. Some people who drank the concoctions said it tasted bitter. When they ingested it, they didn't feel a wave of relief or a euphoric feeling. Everything seemed normal. But they were willing to give Babu the benefit of the doubt. After returning the cups, they thanked Babu and headed home, quietly hoping that the medicine had worked. And that was just the start for Babu. By October of 2010, he claimed he'd had another dream. This time, the Lord decreed that the drink could do more than just cure HIV and AIDS. It could cure a whole litany of ailments, including asthma, diabetes, and cancer. Babu also claimed the Lord told him to charge 500 Tanzanian shillings, worth about 30 cents per cup. In the next few months, Babu saw dozens of people arrive each day. Most went home to tell their family and friends about the miracle cure, sending even more hopeful patients his way. In a country like Tanzania, where in 2012, one-third of the rural population lived in poverty, people were desperate for medical care they could afford. Babu's promise to heal any ailment for less than the cost of a can of soda struck a nerve. Many people who'd been hopeless could finally see a brighter future. Babu didn't seem to realize that he was praying in the hopes of his desperate neighbors. Even though there wasn't any empirical evidence that his miracle cure was effective, he felt steadfast in the belief that he was doing the work of God. In his eyes, the more people that came, the more people he could heal. And those numbers dramatically increased after November of 2010, when the first large Tanzanian newspaper picked up Babu's story. By 2011, crowds from all reaches of the country were heading across the rugged landscape to Samunge. And for at least a few of them, it appeared that Babu's miracle drink really worked. Several travelers who had diabetes reported that their blood sugar levels were suddenly in check. To them, this cemented Babu's claims. But not everyone was buying it so easily. That winter, evangelical Lutheran church leaders arrived in Samunge. They wanted to investigate the claims of a retired pastor who said he was healing in the name of God. When they rolled into town, they seemed relieved to see Babu, an actual member of their church and not an imposter. To them, it didn't look like he was taking advantage of anyone. He was only doing the Lord's work. The leaders spent the day with Babu as he handed out the drink. At the end of the day, they went back to their congregations, impressed with what they saw. They even told their own church members about the miracles occurring in Samunge. We should note that the church leaders might have realized they could capitalize on Babu's popularity. 30 cents a cup divided up might not seem like a lot, but with thousands of desperate travelers coming through each day, the sum added up. At some point, church leaders offered to build Babu an official healing center and tried to collect donations on his behalf. Babu reportedly resisted, saying that this was not part of God's plan. But their endorsements only added fuel to the fire. Those who might have been skeptical before were now packing their things and heading off to see Babu. As hundreds arrived in Samunke, 
Babu tried to maintain his grip on the cure by placing parameters on its miraculous abilities. Only he and the assistants he approved could hand out the drink. He also dissuaded anyone from taking some of the root concoction back home with them. He claimed it would turn to poison the moment it left the village. Most dangerously, Babu claimed that those who took the drink no longer needed to take their medication. He stressed that the cure came from their faith, and God was already working in their bodies to eliminate their ailments. While these claims were wild, no one had any reason to doubt Babu. They believed he'd already cured thousands of people from diseases that were once considered death sentences. Unfortunately, their faith was unfounded. Many who came to see Babu stopped taking their insulin for diabetes. Those with HIV halted their antiretroviral drugs, which kept their HIV from progressing. And from there, things got out of hand. At first, all the exposure was good for Babu's image, but it was becoming too much. As he became famous nationwide for his miracle cure, thousands were setting out across the sparse landscape to get to him. They encountered a tough journey and a seemingly endless line of cars that ultimately took some of their lives. Coming up, Babu's meteoric rise reaches its peak and comes crashing down. Now back to our story. By late February 2011, people from all across Tanzania were traveling to the remote village of Samunge to reach Babu Mwasapile. They packed their bags and crammed into rented vehicles, joining a caravan of tens of thousands of others. It was a long expedition. In an ideal scenario, it would take around seven hours from the nearest paved road to reach the village. But with the influx of people making the pilgrimage, the trek might stretch on for days and require camping on the side of the road. In such a remote part of the country, there were no roadside facilities like restrooms, restaurants, or motels. Once people started their journey, they were in it for the long haul. For the weary travelers that made it to Babu, the scene looked very different from months before. The pastor used to gather his visitors and lead them in prayer before handing out his medicine. But now he operated things more like a drive-through. Everything was organized to pump as many people through the line as possible. Babu had helpers come by with trays full of cups as he poured in the liquid. The helpers went to the waiting cars, handed them out, then collected the empty cups and brought them back to Babu. The personal touch had vanished, but that didn't stop people from arriving in droves. Even government officials and foreign dignitaries wanted Babu's miracle tonic, and they found ways to jump the line. Some days, high-profile visitors flew into the village with helicopters. It's unknown how much Babu charged those guests who were able to cut the line, but it was almost certainly more than 30 cents. And we do know that for those coming from outside of Tanzania, Babu charged a slightly higher fee of $1. But no matter how many customers he served, the volume never slowed down. As weeks passed by, there were simply too many people to accommodate in a given day. This created a backup on the road that sometimes stretched for over 30 miles. Unfortunately, the harsh landscape and lack of facilities put the feeble pilgrims in a dangerous position. According to a 2011 report by the Boston Globe, at least 50 travelers ended up dying before they ever made it to the village. 
things were spiraling out of control, but local government leaders were reluctant to step in. Babu's business had increased tourism, boosted the local economy, and provided hope in a place where most people had none. For the government, the benefits far outweighed the drawbacks. Even though there were already regulations in place for traditional healers, the government refused to investigate whether Babu was following them. They also ignored the pleas of healthcare professionals who were worried about the patients who had stopped taking their medications. International journalists began applying pressure by running stories about the pilgrims dying in Babu's line. However, the local government seemed to ignore the criticism. Babu was still a large draw, and all publicity was good publicity. But in light of the mounting issues, Babu himself finally realized that things were out of control. He'd always wanted to help others, but now it seemed like he might be doing more harm than good. In a news story from this time, Babu is quoted as saying, this is a pathetic situation and something should be done to stem the crisis. With Babu vocalizing his concerns, Reluctant officials coordinated with the former pastor to call for a week-long pause on pilgrims coming to Samunge. During this break, Babu claimed he and his helpers would set up the appropriate infrastructure to accommodate more visitors without leaving anyone to die in the wilderness. To quell some of the skepticism, the Tanzanian government commissioned a study to look into the safety of Babu's drink. They also tested the validity of some of his more outlandish claims about curing diabetes, cancer, and AIDS. To no one's surprise, they found the drink was safe to consume, specifically in the small quantities that Babu handed out. More importantly, though, they discovered that some of Babu's claims may have actually been true, at least somewhat. The study found evidence that the key ingredient in the drink, the Mugariga tree root, had medicinal benefits. It could help regulate blood sugar levels, lower blood pressure, and treat the herpes simplex virus. People with HIV have compromised immune systems, causing opportunistic infections, like herpes, to thrive. Unfortunately, curing their visible sores may have convinced some patients with HIV that their disease was gone. In a sign of possible government bias, the report conveniently never refuted Babu's claims of curing HIV or cancer. For the government, the conclusions gave them the confidence to allow Babu to continue his operation. When Babu opened back up in April 2011, he had better procedures in place. Additionally, officials levied tolls on the countless vehicles on their way to Samunge. The government also made it harder for foreign correspondents to spread bad press about Babu. According to reporter Jesse Dukes, if a journalist wanted to receive the drink, they were more than welcome to travel to Samunge. However, if they wanted an interview, they first had to apply for a permit in Arusha over 200 miles away. In some cases, a government officer was required to accompany the journalist on the journey to Samunge. While in town, the reporters were allowed to talk with Babu, who seemed willing to answer questions. But a translator sympathetic to Babu usually acted as the go-between. This meant that many hard-hitting questions were accidentally lost in translation. But these measures had little influence on the bad publicity. Stories continued to be published about the problems facing pilgrims, including even more deaths along the road to Sumunge. Some reports even questioned the truth about Babu's first healing, the young woman who claimed he cured her HIV. Some wondered if the woman even had HIV to begin with. 
By June, the damage to Babu's reputation was becoming irreparable. Many who had visited Babu were discovering that his cure was only a stopgap for their health issues. Those who had stopped taking their medication found their conditions coming back, and most were worse off than before. For patients with HIV who had stopped their antiretroviral medicine, the results were catastrophic. The virus progressed to the point where returning patients to stability was nearly impossible. And this affected more than just a handful of people. During Babu's healing craze, hundreds if not thousands of people stopped seeing their doctors or taking their medication. And without actual medical care, many patients whose health was already teetering on the edge suddenly died. Healthcare professionals across the country did their best to stop the damage, but it was a nearly impossible task. The most they could do was to try to convince their patients who hadn't already seen Babu to stay away. In summer of 2011, the news of Babu's failed miracles reached almost everyone in Tanzania. And with that, the rapid flow of visitors into Samunge quickly dried up. Babu's success wasn't built to last. Once people discovered that his cure didn't work, he had nothing left to lean on. He hadn't used his fame to build a real church. He didn't peddle any books or merchandise. After their first drink, pilgrims were sent back home to wait for their miracle. Without that miracle, the public's faith in Babu plummeted. They wanted guaranteed results, and unfortunately, he couldn't provide them. For Babu's part, he didn't seem all that remorseful for his actions. But a news crew interviewed him in 2019. He said he had no regrets. He still believed that he'd done the work of God. During the interview, he flipped through the glossy pages of an autobiography he'd recently released. His old, weathered fingers glided over the countless pictures that pointed to his success. There were photos of helicopters landing a few hundred yards from his one-time home in Samunge. It seems that, if he could, Babu would do the work all over again. That is, if people were willing to show up. According to psychologist and author Guy Winch, some people with fragile egos are unable to admit that they've ever been wrong. He writes, Accepting they were wrong, absorbing that reality, would be so psychologically shattering, their defense mechanisms do something remarkable to avoid doing so. They literally distort their perception of reality to make it less threatening. In this case, Babu may be looking back on his time as a healer in a positive light to hide the fact that he likely caused the deaths of hundreds. While Babu might like to see himself as purely altruistic in his quest to heal his countrymen, he also did quite well for himself financially. He netted enough to move into a full-size house and buy a truck. He didn't gain extravagant wealth from his work, but compared to others in the area, he seemed well off. The craze created plenty of opportunities for other people in Samunge as well. Many neighbors capitalized on the influx of visitors by opening shops, restaurants, and makeshift lodgings. But there was no happy ending for the pilgrims who were longing to be healed. In total, it's estimated that 4 million people visited Babu between late 2010 and summer 2011. Each one of them came because they had hoped for a better future. They weren't necessarily gullible just desperate. Babu's tale is a cautionary one. 
anyone can find themselves taken advantage of in desperate situations. When the government's institutions don't protect the vulnerable, it paves the way for opportunists to do harm. But these problems don't just exist in countries like Tanzania, where the healthcare system is fragile and poverty is rampant. They happen all across the globe, even in the United States, where faith healing met capitalism in the Gentle Wind Project. Thanks again for tuning in to Cults. We'll be back next week with our fourth and final installment of our Miracle Healers special, where we'll explore the Gentle Wind Project in the United States. For more information on Ambinakile Mwasapile, amongst the many sources we used, we found Mika Vahakengas paper, Babu Walaliando, Healing the Tensions Between Tanzanian Worlds, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Cults is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Cults was written by Robert Tyler Walker, with writing assistance by Mallory Cara and Kate Gallagher. Fact-checking by Claire Cronin and research by Brian Petrus. Cult stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson.